1: Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Christensen. Thank you all so much for listening today. Uh, to track me down is best probably on LinkedIn. Uh, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCGP, BCPS. Uh, also, uh, reallifepharmacology.com. Definitely go subscribe. Uh, you can get a free 31-page PDF. A great little study guide on the top 200 drugs for students, young healthcare professionals, where I lay out the most important clinical pearls that you're going to see likely on your pharmacology and board exams, as well as in real life. So go check that out for sure. Let's get into the drug of the day. Uh, Today I'm going to cover diazepam, which is a benzodiazepine. Uh, The brand name of this medication is Valium, and from a mechanism of action standpoint, This drug binds benzodiazepine receptors, that's real original, how they named those receptors, Uh, those receptors located in neurons, and ultimately that binding, that action can lead to an increase in the effects of GABA. Now what's GABA? GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter which can alter flow of chloride ions Uh, to and from the cells. And this can result in hyperpolarization and that can ultimately lead to a reduction in basically cell excitability. So, end result, reduced excitability of cells so we don't have action potentials and basically transmission of uh, signals. Uh, through neurons, cross neurons uh, in the the brain is most likely where this is going to have an impact. So thinking about that, we're trying to basically slow people down, reduce excitability, kind of calm the CNS down, the central nervous system down. This type of drug is going to be used in seizures uh, to treat an active seizure, for example, um, also in situations like anxiety, um, I've seen it used for muscle spasms and that type of thing as well, uh, rarely. Uh, alcohol withdrawal uh, is also another situation where we definitely have seen benzodiazepines used. Um, I would never recommend uh, diazepam for sleep, but certainly it can be uh, a sedative as well there. Okay, so let's uh, talk about dosage forms for a second because diazepam is kind of unique in that it has uh, numerous different dosage forms. The three I've probably seen in clinical practice most often um, are oral, of course, uh, so the drug is, is readily bioavailable as an oral agent. There is also a rectal gel called diastat that can be utilized in in the setting of a patient having an acute seizure. And then, of course, we have injection as well. So, you know, IV administration, uh, IM administration. Uh, But I I will say for uh, intramuscular IM administration, generally we're going to want to avoid this in a patient who has an active seizure. Okay, there's inconsistent absorption, which may obviously delay the onset of that drug working. Um, can kind of delay peak concentrations of the drug. Uh, So that could obviously be a really, really big negative with IM, uh, diazepam, compared to uh, giving that drug IV. So very, very important uh, to think about those dosage forms, when and where one might be advantageous versus another. Uh, Obviously, we're not going to give Uh, diastat, the brand name for the rectal gel, we're not going to give that for uh, anxiety, acute anxiety likely, okay, we're going to reserve that for seizures, Uh, the oral formulation, that's going to be more so used in the setting of, you know, maybe a chronic ongoing basis if that patient needs and benefits and it's appropriate to use uh, diazepam in that patient, So think about those dosage forms, uh, you know, pluses and minuses to each and how we might use them actually in clinical practice. Adverse effect profile with diazepam, Uh, the easiest way I remember it, um, and it's pretty close in line with that, is alcohol in a pill. So, you know, confusion, uh, it's, it's a sedative, so it's sedating, slurred speech, falls, uh, you know, it can impair, you know, driving a motor vehicle or, you know, whatever other piece of equipment you want to talk about. Uh, So definitely can be pretty problematic uh, adverse effects and particularly maybe more so in our geriatric patient population where we're worried about falls and fractures and things of that nature. Because of that adverse effect profile, um, diazepam is actually listed in the Beers criteria, uh, which is a, you know, a list of medications to generally avoid in geriatric patients. Now there's another reason, um, at least in my mind, why diazepam shows up uh, on the beers list. Um, the adverse effect profile is not very good for geriatric patients, first and foremost. Uh, but the second important point involves pharmacokinetics. So as we age, uh, our body tends not to metabolize drugs very well, and diazepam definitely fits the bill for an example of this. Uh, so I did learn a rule of thumb at, at one point, and, you know, the accuracy of this, is, it can certainly vary based upon drug interactions and other things going on with the, the patient. But half life of 20 hours at uh, when a patient is 20 years old. And as you age, you can approximate that the half life is going to um, add an extra hour for every year. So in an 80 year old, you can maybe estimate that that half life ballpark might be around 80 hours. Again, uh, you know, liver function. Um, enzymatic processes can alter it significantly from patient to patient. But I think it helps give you a mindset of maybe what was an appropriate dose in a 35 year old patient would be very inappropriate, uh, in an 85 year old patient. Okay? So, you know, think of that rule of thumb and, and you can think of, think of it from a clinical perspective and being very, very cautious with using diazepam as our patients get older. Very, very important to do that. Uh, one other thing I, I want you to think about um, is withdrawal syndrome. So withdrawal symptoms can certainly happen with abrupt discontinuation. And in my practice, most of the patients on diazepam that I've seen, they have been on it for years and years and years and years. And if we were to ever try to uh, take them off of that medication, we certainly would never want to do it abruptly, go from, you know, their current dose to to nothing. Okay, so it's important to remember uh, that we're going to have have to do a uh, thoughtful, um, slow taper down of that medication if they've been on it for a significant amount of time. And I would say, you know, most, uh, most I've seen suggested maybe 10 to 20 percent, you know, every couple of weeks uh, as far as a, a planned out taper. Now that can vary again from patient to patient. Some patients may want to be more aggressive. Other patients may uh, encounter significant withdrawal symptoms, um, even at, at very modest reductions. Um, but that's certainly uh, something I've, that ballpark is something I've seen uh, utilized in clinical practice before. One last thing I wanted to mention that can make diazepam very complicated and maybe more so even in geriatric patients uh, involves the pathway that this drug is broken down. Uh, diazepam has many, many active metabolites and what that means is an enzyme so let's say example CYP3A4 uh, it's also impacted by CYP2C19 an enzyme converts diazepam into another compound in its process to eventually be broken down and eliminated well many of those intermediate breakdown products can still have active action in the body okay so it's still going to have similar effects to what the parent drug diazepam has even after it's been altered and converted um, by some of these enzymes. So that's very, very important to remember and can make the kinetics of when uh, symptoms will resolve or when the drug is when the drug side effects will wear off, that can make that very, very complicated in geriatric patients. So patients can sometimes get slammed with adverse effects as the drug kind of accumulates and tries to, to get to steady state. So again, another example why we need to be very, very cautious uh, if we're starting, if we're increasing a drug like diazepam in our geriatric patient population. So I mentioned a, a couple of enzymes, and when we get back from the break, I'm going to talk about uh, drug interactions that may impact those enzymes. If you're in the market for pharmacist board certification study material like BCPS, uh, geriatrics, ambulatory care, BCMTM, definitely go check out meded101.com slash store. As we get into the drug interaction section here, I also want to remind you I've recently had a new release of a drug interaction book and you can go find all these links at meded101.com slash store. So definitely go check that out. Support the sponsor again, MedEd101.com/store. So finishing up on drug interactions, uh, the first thing I want to note is there is a boxed warning with the use of benzodiazepines and also obviously diazepam when used in combinations with opioids. Okay, so we run an increased risk of uh, excessive sedation um obviously overdose uh, respiratory depression and those type of symptoms which can ultimately lead uh, you know to a comatose type situation and ultimately death if we're giving too high of a dose in combination with opioids so got to be really really careful um with utilizing those agents together and ultimately uh, probably avoid if we can at all possible Another important thing to to think about and just important point to remember because I have seen duplicate benzodiazepines being utilized. Um, We shouldn't be using duplicate benzos if at all possible together. Uh, Also drugs like uh, zolpidem, for example, uh, have very similar effects to benzodiazepines. Uh, So in general, definitely avoid uh, those types of combinations. They can really have additive effects, and greatly increase the risk of, of adverse drug reactions. Now let's talk about those enzymes. So CYP2C19 as well as CYP3A4 are enzymes that are going to impact the breakdown of diazepam. So if we have a CYP2C19 inhibitor, a classic example there is like fluconazole, This drug can block that breakdown of diazepam and potentially extend the half-life of the drug and increase concentrations because it's not being broken down as quickly if we're blocking that enzyme. Same thing with a CYP3A4 inhibitor. So grapefruit juice, uh, clarithromycin, diltiazem, those drugs can all have some inhibitory action on the enzyme CYP3A4. And this can prevent the breakdown of diazepam. Increasing concentrations, increasing likelihood of toxicity and those adverse effects like sedation and confusion and falls uh, with our uh, patients. And most of the time it's in geriatric patients because they're the uh, crew of patients who are on multiple, multiple medications. And that can be uh, certainly problematic and increase that risk for drug interactions. So I think that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you enjoyed the show, You found some important pearls, some good clinical pearls from the show, Uh, definitely leave us a kind rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. That's greatly appreciative uh, to those of you who have already done that. Uh, Very, very appreciative of that. Definitely go check out that free resource. Uh, Follow the podcast, reallifepharmacology.com. Once you sign up um, to get emails when we've got a new podcast available, Uh, you'll get that free uh, 31-page PDF sent to you. So certainly go check that out and support our sponsor, meded101.com slash store. Find our Audible books, Amazon books, um, board certification uh, resources. Definitely go uh, check that out, support our sponsor. uh, Help us keep this podcast free and available uh, to all those who enjoy and who need to learn uh, medications.